0: Chapter Fourteen of Our Mr. Wren The Romantic Adventures of a Gentle Man by Sinclair Lewis This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Don W. Jenkins Our Mr. Wren by Sinclair Lewis Chapter fourteen he enters society england in all its istriness scarce gave mr wrenn a better thrill for his collection than the thrill he received on the november evening when he saw the white doorway of mrs r t ferrard in a decorous row of houses on thirtieth street near lexington avenue it is a block where the citizens have civic pride a newspaper has not the least chance of lying about on the asphalt some householder with a frequently barbered moustache will indignantly pounce upon it inside of an hour no awe is caused by the sight of vestibules floored with marble in alternate black-and-white tiles scrubbed not by landladies but by maids there are dotted swiss curtains at the basement windows and irish point curtains on the first floors there are two polished brass door-plates in a stretch of less than eight houses distinctly it is not a quarter where children fill the street with shouting and little sticks occasionally a taxicab drives up to some door without a crowd of small boys gathering and young men in evening clothes are not infrequently seen to take out young ladies wearing tight-fitting gowns of black and light scarves over their heads. A Middle Western college fraternity has a clubhouse in the block, and four of the houses are private, one of them belonging to a police inspector and one to a school principal who wears spats it is a block that is satisfied with itself as different from the zap district where landladies in gingham run out to squabble with berry vendors as the zap district is from the ghetto mrs arty ferrard's house is a poor relation to most of the residences there the black area way rail is broken and the basement door grill is rusty but at the windows are red-and-white figured chintz curtains, with a 2 dollar ninety 98 bisque figurine of an unclothed lady between them. The door is of spotless white, with a bell-pull of polished brass. Mr. Wren yanked this bell-pull with an urbane briskness which, he hoped, would conceal his nervousness and delight in dining out, for he was one of the lonely men in New York. He had dined out four times in eight years the woman of thirty-five or thirty-eight who opened the door to him was very fat two-thirds as fat as mrs zapp but she had young eyes her mouth was small arched and quivering in a grin this is mr Wren, isn't it she gurgled and leaned against the doorpost. merry apparently indolent i'm mrs ferrard mr poppins told me you were coming and he said you were a terribly nice man and i was to be sure and welcome you come right in Her indolence turned to energy as she charged down the hall to the large double door on the right and threw it open, revealing to him a scene of splendour and revelry by night. Several persons, they seemed dozens in their liveliness, were singing and shouting to piano music, in the midst of a general redness and brightness of furnishings, red paper and worn red carpet, and a high ceiling with circular mouldings tinted in pink hand-painted pictures of old mills and ladies brooding over salmon sunsets, and an especially hand-painted Christmas scene with snow of inlaid mother-of-pearl animated the walls. On a golden oak center-table was a large lamp with a mosaic shade, and through its mingled bits of green and red and pearl glass stormed the brilliance of a mantle light The room was crowded with tufted plush and imitation leather chairs, side-tables and corner-brackets, a couch and a ladies desk green and red and yellow vases adorned with figures of youthful lovers crammed the top of the piano at the farther end of the room and the polished black marble mantle of the fireplace the glaring gas raced the hearth-fire for snap and glare and excitement the profusion of furniture was like a tumult the redness and oakness and polishedness of furniture was a dizzying activity and it was all overwhelmingly magnified by the laughter and singing about the piano tom poppins lumbered up from a couch of terrifically new and red leather and mr wren was introduced to the five new people in the room with dismaying swiftness there seemed to be fifty times five unapproachable and magnificent strangers from whom he wanted to flee of them all he was sure of only two a miss nelly somebody and what sounded like horatio hood tim it was. He wished that he had caught Miss Nelly's last name, which at dinner proved to be Krubel, for he was instantly taken by her sweetness as she smiled, held out a well-shaped hand, and said, "'So pleased to meet you, Mr. Wren.' She returned to the front of the room, and went on talking to a lank spinster about ruchings, but Mr. Wren felt that he had known her long and as intimately as it was possible to know so clever a young woman." nelly Krubel gave him the impression of a delicate prettiness a superior sort of prettiness like that of the daughter of the big white house on the hill the squire's house at parthenon though nelly was not unusually pretty indeed her mouth was too large her hair of somewhat ordinary brown but her face was always changing with emotions of kindliness and of life her skin was perfect her features fine rather greek her smile quick yes sensitive she was several inches shorter than Mr Wren and all curves. Her blouse of white silk lay tenderly along the adorably smooth softness of her young shoulders. A smart patent leather belt encircled her sleek waist. Thin black lyle stockings showed a modestly arched and rather small foot in a black pump. She looked as though she were trained for business, awake self-reliant self-respecting expecting to have to get things done all done yet she seemed indestructibly gentle indestructibly good and believing and just a bit shy nelly krubel was twenty-four or twenty-five in years older in business and far younger in love she was born in upton's grove pennsylvania there for eighteen years she had played skip to maloo at parties hid away the notes with which the boys invited her to picnics at baptist church read much Walter Scott, and occasionally taught Sunday school. Her parents died when she was beginning her fourth year in high school, and she came to New York to work at Wanamacy's Toy Department at $6 a week during the holiday rush. Her patience with fussy old shoppers and her large sales totals had gained her a permanent place in the store. She had loftily climbed to the position of second assistant buyer in the lingerie department at $14.80 a week. That was quite all of her history, except that she attended a Presbyterian church nearly every Sunday. The only person she hated was Horatio Hood teddem the cheap actor who was playing the piano at Mr. Wren's entrance. Just now Horatio was playing ragtime with amazing rapidity, stamping his foot and turning his head to smirk at the others. Mrs. Arty led her chattering flock to the basement dining-room, which had pink wallpaper and a mountainous sideboard. Mr. Wren was placed between Mrs. Artie and Nellie Krubel. Out of the mist of strangeness presently emerged the personality of Miss Mary Proudfoot, a lively but religious spinster of forty, who made doilies for the Dorcas Women's Exchange, and had two hundred dollars a year family income. To the right of the red glass pickle dish were the elderly Ebbets, Samuel Ebbet, Esquire, also Mrs. Ebbet. Mr. Ebbett had come from Hartford five years before, but he always seemed just to have come from there. He was in a real-estate office. He was gray, ill-tempered, impatiently honest, and addicted to rheumatism and the newspapers. Mrs. Ebbett was addicted only to Mr. Ebbett. Across the table was felt the presence of James T. Duncan, who looked like a dignified red-mustached Sunday-school superintendent, but who traveled for a cloak-and-suit house, gambled heavily on poker and auction pinochle, and was esteemed for his straight-back and knowledge of trains. Which is all of them? As soon as Mrs. Arty had guided Annie, the bashful maid, in serving the vegetable soup, and had coaxed her into bringing Mr. Wrenn a napkin, she took charge of the conversation, a luxury which she would never have entrusted to her flock's amateurish efforts. Mr. Poppins, said she, had spoken of meeting a friend of Mr. Wrenn's. Mr. Morton, was it not? A very nice man, she understood. Was it true that Mr. Wren and Mr. Morton had gone clear across the Atlantic on a cattle-boat? It really was. Oh, how interesting, contributed pretty Nelly Crubo beside Mr. Wrenn, her young eyes filled with an admiration which caused him palpitation and difficulty in swallowing his soup. He was confused by hearing old Samuel Ebbett state, uh back in eighteen uh eighteen seventy two the vessel Prissy No it was eighteen seventy three no it must have been seventy two. It was eighteen seventy two, father, said Mrs. Ebbett. Eighteen seventy three I was on a coasting vessel, young man, but we didn't carry cattle. mister Ebbett inspected Horatio Hood Tedum darkly, clicking his spectacle case sharply shut and fell to eating, as though he had settled all this nonsense. With occasional witty interruptions from the actor, Mr. Wrenn told of Pitching Hay, of the wit of Morton, and the wickedness of Satan, the boss. But you haven't told us about the brave things you did, cooed Mrs. Arty. She appealed to Nellie Krubel. I'll bet he was a cool one. Don't you think he was, Nelly? I'm sure he was. Nellie's voice was like a flute mr wren knew that there was just one thing in the world that he wanted to do to persuade miss nelly kruble that though he was a solid business man indeed yes and honourable he was a cool one who had chosen in wandering o'er this world so wide the most perilous and cattle-boaty places he tried to think of something modest yet striking to say while tom was arguing with miss mary proudfoot the respectable spinster about the ethics of giving away street-car transfers as they finished their floating custard mr Wren achieved do you come from new york miss kruble and listen to the tale of sleighing parties in upton's grove pennsylvania he was absolutely happy this is like getting home he thought and they're classy folks to get home too now that i can tell em apart gee miss kruble is a peach and brains golly he had a frightened hope that after dinner he would be able to get into a corner and talk with Nellie, but Tom Poppins conferred with Horatio Hood Tedham and called Mr. Wren aside. Tedham had been acting with a moving-picture company for a week, and had three passes to the celebrated Waldorf Photoplay Theater. Mr. Wren had bloodthirstily disapproved Horatio Hood's effeminate remarks such as, "'Tee-hee!' and, "'Oh, you naughty man!' But when he heard this Molly Coddle had shared in the glory of making moving pictures, he went proudly forth with him and Tom. He had no chance to speak to Mrs. Arty about taking the room to be vacated. He wished that Charlie Carpenter or the Zaps could see him sitting right beside the actor who was shown in the pictures miraculously there before them, asking him how they made movies, just as friendly as though they had known each other always. He wanted to do something to entertain his friends beyond taking them out for a drink. HE INVITED THEM DOWN TO HIS ROOM, AND THEY CAME. Tedham WAS IN WONDERFUL FORM. HE mimicked EVERY ONE THEY SAW SO AMIABLY THAT TOM POPPINS KNEW THE ACTOR WANTED TO BORROW MONEY. THE PARTY WERE LOVINGLY HUMMING THE POPULAR SONG OF THE TIME, ANY LITTLE GIRL THAT'S A NICE LITTLE GIRL IS THE RIGHT LITTLE GIRL FOR ME, AS THEY FRISKED UP THE GLOOMY STEPS OF THE ZAPS. ENTERING, POPPINS AND Teddam STRUCK ATTITUDES ON THE INSIDE STAIRS AND SANG ALOUD. Mr Wren felt enormously conscious of Mrs. Zapp down below. He kept listening as he led them upstairs and lighted the gas. But Tedum so imitated Colonel Roosevelt with two water glasses for eyeglasses and a small hat brush for a mustache, that Mr Wren was moved wrigglingly to exclaim, Say, I'm going out and get some beer, or you'd rather have something else some cheese sandwiches? How about em? Fine, said Tom and Tedum together not only did mr wrenn buy a large newspaper-covered bundle of bottles of beer and swiss cheese sandwiches but also a small can of caviar and salty crackers in his room he spread a clean towel then two clean towels on the bureau and arrayed the feast with two water-glasses and a shaving-mug for cups horatio hood Tedum spreading caviar on a sandwich and loudly singing his masterpiece while i swan stopped short and fixed amazed eyes on the door of the room mr Wren hastily turned the light fell as if on a cliff of crumbly gray rock on mrs zapp in the open door vast in her ungirdled gray wrapper her arms folded glowering speechlessly miss wren she began in a high voice that promised to burst into passion but she was addressing the formidable adventurer bill wren he had to protect his friends he sprang up and walked across to her he said quietly i didn't hear you knock mrs zapp i didn't knock and i want you should then please do knock unless you want me to give notice he was quivering his voice was shrill from the hall below teresa called up ma come down here ma but mrs zapp was too well started if you think i'm going to stand for a lazy sneaking little drunkard keeping the whole street awake and here it is pretty near midnight just then Mr. William Wren saw and heard the most astounding thing in his life, and became an eternal slave to Tom Poppins. Tom's broad face became hard, his voice businesslike. He shouted at Mrs. Zapp, "'Bait it, or I'll run you in. Trouble with you is, you old hag, you don't appreciate a nice quiet little chap like Wren, and you try to bully him, and him here for years. Get out, or I'll put you out. I'm no lamb, and I won't stand for any of your monkey-shines. GET OUT, THIS AIN'T YOUR ROOM, HE'S RENTED IT, HE'S PAID THE RENT, IT'S HIS ROOM, GET OUT. Kindly Tom Poppins worked in a cigar store, and was accustomed to talk back to drunken men six feet tall. His voice was tremendous, and he was fatly immovable. He didn't a bit mind the fact that Mrs. Zapp was still glaring speechless. But behold an ally to the forlorn lady. When Theresa in the hall below heard Tom, she knew that Mr. Wren would room here no more. She galloped upstairs, and screeched over her mother's shoulders, "'You will pick on a lady, will you, you drunken scum, you, you kids! I'll have you arrested so quick, you!' "'Look here, lady,' said Tom gently. "'I'm a plain-clothesman, a detective.' His large voice purred like a tiger-tabby's. "'I don't want to run you in, but I will if you don't get out of here and shut that door. Or you might go down and call the cop on this block. He'll run you in, for breaking codes 2762 of the Penal Law.' Trespass and flotsam, that's what it is. Uneasy, frightened, then horrified, Mrs. Zapp swung bulkily about and slammed the door. Sick, guilty, banished from home, though he felt Mr. Wren's voice quavered with an attempt at dignity. "'I'm awfully sorry she butted in while you fellows was here. I don't know how to apologize.' "'Forget it, old man,' rolled out Tom's bass. "'Come on, let's go up to Mrs. Arty's. "'But gee, it's nearly a quarter to eleven. That's all right. We can get up there by a little after, and Mrs. Arty stays up playing cards till after twelve. Golly! Mr. Wren agitatedly ejaculated under his breath as they noisily entered Mrs. Arty's. though not noisily on his part. The parlour door was open. Mrs. Arty's broad back was toward them, and she was announcing to James T. Duncan and Miss Proudfoot, with whom she was playing three-handed five hundred, Well, I'll just bid seven hundred and hearts, if you're going to get so set up. She glanced back, nodded, and said, "'Come in, children,' picked up the widow, and discarded with quick twitches of the cards. The frightened Mr. Wren, feeling like a shipwrecked landlubber, compared this gaming-smoking woman unfavourably with the intense respectability of his dear lost patron, Mrs. Zapp. He sat uneasily till the hand of cards was finished, feeling as though they were only tolerating him, and Nelly Krubel was nowhere in sight. "'Suddenly,' said Mrs. Arty and now you would like to look at that room mr wren unless i'm wrong why uh, yes i guess i would like to come with me child she said in pretended severity tom you take my hand in the game and don't let me hear you've been bidding ten on no suit without the joker she led mr wren to the settee hat-rack in the hall the third floor back will be vacant in two weeks mr wren we can go up and look at it now if you'd like to the man who has it now works nights HE'S SOME KIND OF A HEAD WAITER AT RECTOR'S, OR SOMETHING LIKE THAT, AND HE'S OUT TILL THREE OR FOUR. COME. WHEN HE SAW THAT THIRD FLOOR BACK, THE ROOM THAT THE SMART PEOPLE AT MRS. ARTY'S WERE REALLY WILLING TO LET HIM HAVE, HE FELT LIKE A MAN JUST ENGAGED. IT WAS ALL IN SOFT GREEN, GRASS-GREEN MATTING, PALE GREEN WALLS, CHAIRS OF WHITE WICKER WITH GREEN CUSHIONS, THE BED, A COUCH WITH DENIM COVER AND FOUR SOFA PILLOWS. IT GAVE HIM THE IMPRESSION OF BEING A GUEST ON FIFTH AVENUE it's kind of a plain room mrs arty said doubtfully the furniture is kind of plain but my head waiter man it was furnished for a friend of his he says he likes it better than any other room in the house it is comfortable and you get lots of sunlight And i'll take how much is it please with board she spoke with a take-it-or-leave-it defiance eleven-fifty a week it was a terrible extravagance much like marrying a sick woman on a salary of ten a week he reflected nineteen minus eleven fifty left him only seven fifty for clothes and savings and things but i'll take it he said hastily he was frightened at himself but glad very glad he was to live in this heaven he was going to be away from that zap woman and nelly Crubel was she engaged to some man he wondered mrs arty was saying first i want to ask you some questions though please sit down as she creaked into one of the wicker chairs she suddenly changed from the cigarette-rolling chaffing card-player to a woman dignified reserved commanding mr Wren, you see miss proudfoot and miss kruble are on this floor miss proudfoot can take care of herself all right but nelly is such a trusting little thing she's like my daughter she's the only one i've ever given a reduced rate to and i swore i never would to anybody do you uh drink drink much i mean nelly on this floor near him now he had to have this room he forced himself to speak directly i know how you mean mrs ferrard no i don't drink much of any hardly at all just a glass of beer now and then sometimes i don't even touch that a week at a time and i don't gamble and and i do try to keep er straight and all that sort of thing that's good i work for the souvenir and art novelty company on twenty-eighth street "'If you want to call him up, I guess the manager will give me a pretty good recommend.' "'I don't believe I'll need it, Mr. Wren. "'It's my business to find out what sort of animalies men are just by talking to them.' "'She rose, smiled, plumped out her hand. "'You will be nice to Nelly, won't you? "'I'm going to fire that Teddum out. "'Don't tell him, but I am, because he gets too fresh with her.' "'Yes!' she suddenly broke into laughter and ejaculated. "'Say, that was hard work.' Don't you hate to have to be serious? Let's trot down, and I'll make Tom or Duncan rush us a growler of beer to welcome you to our midst. I'll bet your socks aren't darned properly. I'm going to sneak in and take a look at them once I get you caged up here. But I won't read your love letters. Now let's go down by the fire where it's comfy. End of Chapter Fourteen Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggy Bark dot blogspot dot com